Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. If, then, what is that called? A conditional statement. I thought one of our teachers would shout that out or something. A conditional statement. It seems fairly common for people to want and make a conditional deal with God. Have you heard people say that? You know, God, if you will do this, then I'll do that. Um, God, get me out of this mess and I'll serve you. Uh, God, uh, give me a great job and then I'll start being generous with my money toward you. God, heal my child and I'll start going to church regularly. Uh, They want God to come through for them and then they'll do something for him. But it's conditional. They're demanding that God come through. God doesn't work that way. Uh, There was a, a baker back in Joseph's day who promised Joseph he would remember him. And then he got delivered from the prison and totally forgot about Joseph for two years. So today we're going to look at a reverse conditional. This is not us telling God a conditional thing. This is God telling the children of Israel a conditional statement. If they would do this, then he would do that. And the promise uh, that God would do something, if they would, he would. Uh, do you have your Bibles open to Second Chronicles 7.14? It's been up on the screen. I didn't mention it. Second Chronicles 7.14. I'm going to go ahead and read it, even though some of you are just turning there. Please get there because it's important for you to see this is God's Word. So you can click on your uh, phone or tablet or turn in your Bible. Usually when I travel, I just take my phone as my Bible because it's so much easier to hold. Uh, and some of you have these massive Bibles that I could not stand up here and hold with my fingers. Kathy does the heavy lifting with me. But Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, look at verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, this is written to the nation of Israel. It's not written to you. In fact, none of the Bible was written to you, but it was written for you. But there is a promise here to Israel that's unique to Israel, and that's the healing of the land. All the Christians in the United States could do the right thing, and it wouldn't necessarily heal our land because we don't have the promise of land. The only nation in the history of the world where God gave a promise of land was the nation of Israel. It's a special, unique promise for them. But don't you think America would be a better place if all the Christians did right? Yes, it absolutely would be. And so we're going to look at this. In fact, today we're going to learn four crazy big ideas. Now, when I say crazy big, I want you to understand these are not crazy ideas. They are crazy big. 
I mean, they are big, huge ideas that are bigger than the normal ideas you might have. That's why I like this picture, that guy holding that light bulb. He's about to collapse under the weight of that great, big, crazy idea. And this morning, we're going to look at four of them from this verse. We want to look at this verse in a way that takes this truth from the Old Testament that was spoken to Israel, and we now apply that to us today. Do you see a parallel? Do you see that God says, if my people, well, who are his people today? His people today are those who have trusted Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, boys and girls, who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are his people. Now, sometimes we get the idea that if those people out there would clean up their act, America would be a better place. That's true. But God said it starts here with his people. So here's the first crazy big idea, okay? God holds you partially responsible for the condition of life on earth. What? Yes, God holds you partly responsible for the condition of life on earth. He says at the beginning of this verse, uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, if my people, those who are kin with God, those who are connected with him, even when this was written, it meant more than just being an Israelite. Uh, Remember um, Paul said it to the Romans, Romans 9, 6, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Not everybody who was born in Israel was a follower of the Lord God of heaven and earth. And so he's writing to his people called by his name, the one he identified with and the ones who identified with him. God holds you responsible. So his people being Israeli by blood was not enough in the Old Testament, any more than having Christian parents is enough for kids today. Every person needs to receive Jesus Christ and ask him to be their savior. Uh, You need him to forgive your sins and save your soul. You need to, as we use the phrase a lot here, trust and follow Jesus Christ. In the dispensation of grace, the church age, the New Testament teaches that when you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, God adopts you into his family. God makes you one of his kids. When you were born, you weren't one of God's kids. You had a biological dad and a biological mom, but you weren't one of God's kids until you were born again, until you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But he says, if my people, what's the next qualifier that he says? If my people who are called by my name being identified with God. In the Old Testament, those who followed God became Jewish. They trusted in God and they converted to Judaism and they followed him. And that happened in lots of nations. It happened in Egypt. Some of the people in Egypt who were born Egyptian, they converted to uh, the Hebrew belief and they followed the Israelites out of Egypt. And even in Babylon, there were people who converted to Judaism and followed God in that way. In the New Testament, we follow Jesus. They followed the Messiah who would come. 
His name is Jesus. The Gospels teach us that he is the Messiah in the Old Testament called Messiah. That's the Hebrew word. In the New Testament, he's called the Christ. That's the Greek word. It means the same thing. The anointed one of God who would be the Savior. That's Jesus, the Christ. And so in the New Testament, those who follow God trust Jesus Christ. And they follow him. We are not called by his name with a national identification. Saying, I was born in America doesn't mean you are a child of God. Saying, I am born again by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ makes you a child of God. So the name we use today is not Judaism or being an Israeli. It is being a Christian, a follower of Jesus the Christ. So we have a personal identification. But because you are his people and you are called by his name, God holds you partially responsible for the condition of life on earth. This is a big, huge responsibility to his followers. So here's the second big idea. Your pride hurts everyone. Your pride hurts everyone. Now, we can see this in some little vignettes like, you know, the teenage driver who feels like he's got such great confidence and he can handle the wheel and he goes whipping around a corner. There was just when they first put the interstate through near Albuquerque, uh, just south of Albuquerque, New Mexico, there was a curve and it was a pretty big curve and it, it was freeway speed and a pretty big curve. You know what they called that curve? Dead man's curve. Now, there's a lot of dead man's curves. There's an old highway in Pennsylvania that a lot of cars got wrapped around trees just outside that corner because they thought they could handle it. They were proud. They could handle this. They didn't need to slow down, and they killed everybody in their car. Your pride hurts everyone, not just the people riding in the car with you, but it hurts everyone. Look what he says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humble themselves. So basically you got two options. You can humble yourself or God can humble you. It's going to happen. It's way less painful if you do it than if God does it. Uh, last Sunday night in the afternoon service, we had a, I was looking at Proverbs 6, 16, and 17, and we looked at some of the things God hates, and the first on that list, even before murder, was a proud look. And so I asked the adults, to, after we sent the kids off to kids' choir, I asked the adults who were in here to pretend that they were giving advice to an arrogant young man who asked them to help him be more humble. And so this is some of the advice they shared. Someone said, you need to remember that our intelligence and every ability that we have is a gift from God. He made us. You know, uh, I used to have a shirt that my mom made, and on the back it had a tag, you know, made by Edith. And uh, uh, Kathy's mom had made by Grandma. Right now, she's lovingly made by Mother. Oh, well, she's wearing one now. Her mom made, lovingly made by Mother. And uh, so if you came with a tag on the back of your neck when you were born, it would have been said made by God. Now, I know biologically you're a product of your mom and dad, but who's the one who mixed the DNA exactly the way your DNA is mixed? God did that. 
Medical science can't even comprehend the complexity of the DNA, let alone be able to duplicate it. God made you, you. So every ability you have is a gift from God. It's not something you earned, and it's not something you should brag about. Uh, there are things that we cannot take credit for. And some people feel proud because they're a little taller, or a little prettier, or a little smarter. God made you the way he made you, and he wants you to show love to the other people that he loves. Another one said, to focus on the blessings God has given you so that you focus less on yourself and what you've done and more on what he is doing. Think about the blessings God is doing in your life. Okay, another one said, arrogance is robbing God and you are taking away from God the glory that belongs to him. When you lift yourself up, you correspondingly make God less significant. That's why John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. Okay, then another one said, uh, being better than everyone else won't make God love you anymore. God loves you in spite of yourself, not because of what you do or don't do. That was good advice. Another said, read and memorize scripture and shift your thinking to God's word. God's word will correct a lot of problems in your life if you'll pay attention to it. The final advice they gave is that the Holy Spirit of God is working in us to enable us to accomplish anything good. As Zechariah said, uh, recording the, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So it's not your genius, not your intellect, not your good looks, not your awesome physique or whatever it is. It's the spirit of God that makes things work. And if you lift yourself up, you get in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Some people seem arrogant when they're just trying to hide their own insecurity. So they're always bragging, not because they really think they're that good. They just feel fearful. So whether you, uh, and by the way, in Proverbs, what God said he hated wasn't just pride. It was the proud look. So whether you truly are arrogant or whether you're just pretending to be arrogant to overcome your own feelings of insecurity, God hates it. Humble yourself before God. Your pride hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. Your pride hurts everyone. I was uh, in a church service, and this pastor who was, God used him greatly in my life, but he was by no means a humble man. He was always exalting himself, telling people they needed to imitate him and be just like him. And, and he was bragging about how well he played softball. And uh, they'd had this big softball competition, and his team won. And, and he said somebody came up to him and said, you know, Pastor, I won't use his name. He's probably with the Lord now, but uh, uh, I, he said, Pastor, I get the idea. You're a poor loser. And he said, I wouldn't know. I've never lost. <laughs> you know, his church produced a high number of pedophiles because he was focusing on his arrogance and not on the Spirit of God working. And there were a lot of men who got in trouble with teenage girls in that church. 
Your pride hurts people. Even if you try and keep it all on the inside, if you honestly think you're better than everybody else, you're comparing in the wrong direction. Instead of looking this way, you need to look this way and compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you got a lot of room for growth. We all do. And here's the third big idea. Your prayers truly make a difference. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, your prayers make a difference. So God's people were not praying as they should. That's what God was talking about. Christians in wholehearted prayer, listen to these four words. Christians in wholehearted prayer can heal, provide, strengthen, and bless. That's what the Bible says we can do with our prayers. We can heal, we can provide, we can strengthen, we can bless. Christians who do not pray hinder the work of God. It's the Holy Spirit's work that makes anything of value accomplished through this ministry and the missions that we support. If we're not praying for them, we are hindering what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this work and in their work. We need to spend time in prayer. Uh, James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. You don't receive because you didn't ask. Now, how many of you are a kid or used to be a kid? Raise your hand. What do kids do? By nature, what do they do? Ask, 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 ask. This morning, a couple of my grandsons wanted to climb in the fountain. Ask, ask. Uh, you want Twinkies instead of vegetables for lunch. It's not going to work, by the way. Uh, but you know, kids naturally ask. God calls us his kids. I was reading something another Christian sent to me an email, and he said, I don't ask God for things. I just trust him for whatever comes. It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I'm not asking God. I'm just trusting in him and whatever comes. Except for one thing. God said, ask. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you don't know. Open wide your mouth. God is constantly telling us in the Old Testament, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, telling us to ask and seek and find. God wants us to pray. Twice, Jesus talked about Jerusalem. Well, more than twice, but on two occasions when he talked about Jerusalem, he said these things. I want to bless you, but you would not. God has blessings prepared if we're prepared to receive them and ask for them. So, there's lots of verses on prayer in the Bible. Tell me one of your favorite verses, several people. Tell me a favorite verse you have on prayer. You don't have to cite the reference if you can just say what the verse is. Gwen? Okay. 
That's a great verse, John 3.16, but it's not really about prayer. It's a great verse. And I'm sorry you don't get the two cake pops. So <laughs> that was, if you weren't here last week, we talked about that. So. Yeah, in Romans 8, Paul said, if you're not even sure how to pray, how many of you have been there? You've got this big decision, you've got this big, and you don't even know how to pray. You just go to the Lord in prayer, and the Holy Spirit intercedes with you with groanings that cannot be uttered. Thelma? Yes. James chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, some people think, when the pastor prays, it's really important. You know what? It doesn't say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous pastor. It actually says a righteous person, a man or woman or kid who loves God and is dedicated to God can go to God in prayer, and that prayer makes a difference. Not just adults, not just men, not just pastors. Everybody. A couple more hands were up on verse on prayer. Ed. Yeah. Amen. Don't be anxious. Go to God in prayer. Trust in him. He is there. Another hand went up. Kathy Bird. Yeah, he said, if you ask for wisdom, God loves to give it to you. Do you know there's a lot of stupid people walking around who could really use some wisdom and they're not asking God for it? Don't you be one of them. I know I've offended some people by saying stupid. I used that once in church years ago, and one of the kids said to their mom, Pastor said the S word. (laughs) Sorry about that. Just popped out. It's Kathy's fault, I'm sure. I don't think she's ever used that word in her life. I thought I saw another hand, but that's okay. We have these verses on prayer. We can go to God in prayer. And the coolest thing is God said, I'm the God who hears and answered prayer. That's who he is. That's what he does. He built a job description for himself. And part of his job description is to listen when Todd prays and answer Todd. That's part of God's job description. And the amazing thing about God, you know, when our kids were really young, I'm not sure she can still do it, but when our kids were young, there were five of them, they could all talk at once, and Kathy could understand each of them. And when they all five talked at once, you know what I heard? Wah, 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 wah. That was all I could get out of it, like Charlie Brown's teacher. And I have to have one person at a time speaking or one person being way louder than the others. But God can hear everybody at the same time. And so if seven and a half billion people all prayed at the same time in the 4,000 different languages and dialects that exist on planet Earth, God could understand each one and answer each one at the same time. Because he is awesome God. And this awesome God says, if my people will pray, then I'm going to do something about those prayers. We should encourage ourselves to pray. 
Some people keep a prayer journal. And in that prayer journal, they write down their prayer, and then they go back later and write down how it was answered and when it was answered. Spend time in prayer. Your prayers truly make a difference. All right, you want another big idea? So do I, and I just can't find it here. I know what it is, but I needed my notes under it. The big idea is that your heart for God improves the world. Your heart for God improves the world. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God's people, your heart for God improves the world. As Megan reminded us in her Tuesday talk this past week, Romans 119.10, sorry, Psalm 119.10 challenges us, with my whole heart I have sought you. That's what it means to seek his face, with your whole heart. Seek him, incline yourself to him. Lean toward him. You don't overcome sin by thinking, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. All that does is make you think about it more. All right? Here's the test. Don't think about purple zebras. Don't think about purple zebras. Now, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about purple zebras, right? And I know some of you are wondering, well, wait, is the dark stripe going to be purple? And others of you are thinking, wait, the light stripe's going to be light purple, right? And some of you are thinking, well, maybe the dark one will be dark purple and the light one will be light purple. And some of you are thinking, well, if we can change the color of the stripes, why don't we make it into checkerboard? Well, at least one of us was thinking that. But, you know, your heart for God improves the world. You don't overcome sin by thinking about sin and telling yourself, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. We overcome sin in the same way you correct a toddler. What do you do when a toddler's getting into something they don't want? What do you do? You move them away and you give them something else. If all you do is take it away, what are they going to do? They're just going to cry that you took it away. You, it's called diversion therapy. You divert their attention to something else. And that never stops working. You can divert your attention to something else. You can overcome big, huge addictions in your life because you commit your way to the Lord and you seek the Lord and you think about him. You cannot not think about something. You have to think about something else. You can't just not think about that thing. Now, they've done studies on the brain. They've hooked people up to electrodes and all that. And you know what? They've come up with something, and it's actually medically, scientifically proven that men can think about nothing. <laughs> it's proven. They got the electrodes all wired to the brain, and if a guy says, you ask a guy, what are you thinking about? He says, nothing. He is thinking about nothing. It's medically possible for men. But when they do those electrodes up to the women, and a woman says, what do you, a guy says to her, what are you thinking about? If she says nothing, buddy, you got a problem. Okay? 
But all of us have the mental capacity to think about something else. Now, it's hard, but it's a big, huge, painful thing. It's hard to think about something else. So what do you do? You use the tools God has given you. You use the mind that he's given you, not just the brain. The brain wants to keep going over and over. The mind can shift the brain. You use the mind that he has given you. You use the heart that he's given you. You use his word. You start reading some scripture, thinking about it. I have the scripture on audio. And uh, so I listened through the whole Bible in the first six months of this year. I also read through the New Testament. And, and just saturate yourself with some of the word of God and go over and over it. Uh, one month, I listened through the, month, the book of Proverbs every day. For, for a whole month and just listen to it and focus on God's word and think about it and put it in there. You can meditate on things. You can listen to Christian music, good Christian music. There's some really weird stuff out there that says it's Christian, uh, but it's not really focusing on Jesus Christ. It's all about you and how you feel and what you want to do. And that's not really Christian music. But you can really think about God and saturate your mind with it and focus on it. You can pray to him. You can listen to him. You can shift your attention away from that thing. We never outgrow our need to distract our brains by transferring our attention to something else. You always have a little bit of toddler in you. Some of you just have a little bit more than others, okay? <laughs> but we all have a little bit of toddler. We all need to transition and think. You overcome sin by thinking about the Lord, by seeking his face, by turning from your sin. So we started with if, then. This is a conditional proposition. It also describes a divine human partnership. If you humans, who are my people called by my name, if you will do this, then I, the divine omnipotent one, will do this bigger thing. You do your little part, I'll do my big part. And you know what? God's really good at doing big stuff. One day, long time ago, a little more than 6,000 years ago, God said, you know what? I'd like to have some lights out there in the firmament of the heaven. Let there be lights. And you know what happened? So many stars were created by that phrase that even today scientists cannot possibly number the stars. Every time they think they got it figured out, they get a new telescope that sees a little further and they find entire solar systems out there they didn't even know existed. Once they could just see this fuzzy dot out there. And then they put the Hubble telescope in space and they aimed it toward that fuzzy dot. And that little fuzzy dot on the best telescopes on earth looked like it was a star that was kind of vibrating a little. And when they trained the Hubble telescope on that fuzzy dot, they found solar systems like crazy in that one little dot. There are things that exist in the universe that human eyes have never seen. And God created it with a spoken phrase, let there be. And it was. We can't get our dog to obey us, but God 
has the universe obey him. So here's what the divine human partnership says. If, what's the if part? What do you need to do? First, humble yourself. Second, pray. Third, seek his face. Fourth, turn from your wicked ways. Then what's God going to do? He's going <laughs> to... He's going to hear you. He's going to bless you. He's going to forgive those sins, and he's going to bless. He's not going to heal America necessarily, although I do think that many of the problems in America would be removed if Christians would just follow God. If we would take the word of God seriously and follow what it says, we would have a lot less problems and a lot less fighting among Christians. But God's willing to do this. If we do these four little steps, they're not big, huge steps. You know, if I asked you all to stand up and turn around, you know what? You could all do it. I know some of you, it might take you a while to get up there, and your turning around might be little steps, but you'd get there. Everything God asks us to do, we can do. And everything God says he'll do, he can do. There's one hindrance, if, if his people do what he says. And if we do, then he will, because he's God. And everything he says he's going to do, he does. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace. We do thank you for America. It's a privilege to have been born here, to live here. It's a privilege to know people who have moved here from other countries and joined with us. And, and Lord, it's such a great opportunity that we have because we have more religious freedom than any nation in modern history. And, and we are just greatly blessed. And we have opportunities to grow and mature and learn and improve. And uh, we, we are blessed. But we are way, way, way more blessed to be known as a child of God. If there are people here this morning who've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray they would do it today, that they would get adopted into your family, that we could all rejoice that we have a new brother or a new sister in the family of God. I pray that you would speak into our hearts, encourage us in the right path, help us to turn away from the wrong path, help us to follow you with our whole heart. And thank you that you love us with your whole heart. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.